Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawala wa ba'du. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. All praise and thanks are due solely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Traces peace, blessings and salutations upon our master and exemplar Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama tasliman kathira amma ba'du. I welcome each and everyone to this program. Um, it's a difficult program for me to actually host this evening because... It forms part of a series of programs uh, that we were very privileged to host before on the vaccination and COVID-19 issue. But our uh, guest of honor at the time was my late teacher, Mulana Mufti Muhammad Taha Karan, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And of course, he's now no longer with us. Um, our other guests, they remain with us. And we all saddened by the fact that we have to take this panel uh, without him. May Allah grant him the highest place in Jannah. But nonetheless, he certainly would have uh, wanted us to continue with informing the general public because he made it one of his one of his most important missions uh, at the end of his life, you know, to make people aware of the seriousness of COVID-19, the pandemic, to uh, dispel any misunderstandings and any sort of uh, misinformation that's out there. And to encourage people to do that which is responsible and that which is right, while at the same time maintaining the uh, degree of honor and loyalty to the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And since that was his mission, we continue with that this evening uh, with our guests in studio. Alhamdulillah, I have with me uh, Dr. Maulana Yusuf Patel, who is also a former student of uh, Maulana Taha Karan, rahimahullah ta'ala, also studied in the Madrasa in Strand after completing his his uh, uh, medical studies and I will leave his further introduction to himself inshallah ta'ala Dr. Yusuf assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh shukran Munayr Irshad for, for having me with uh, and obviously uh, having me with our two other guests of honor Dr. Salim Parker and Dr. Karim Definitely uh, a very difficult uh, program for us to, to conduct because of the loss of our dear teacher uh, as we were reflecting on just before the program, I don't think it's really struck us in its entirety, uh, nor do I think our community has really understood or comprehended what we've lost in the personality of uh, Mulana But, you know, one of Mulana last advices to us was to continue and just to resist the backlash that we were receiving within the community with regards to the COVID issue. Mm. Um, so inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us that fortitude to continue uh, the job that we are doing and to try our best to inform the general public with regards to the reality on the ground. I think that's probably the most important thing. Inshallah. Uh, just before I hand it over to our other guests uh, online, just a quick one. Uh, doctor, you had a great uh, opportunity with Mulanata with assisting him right at the end um, in his final days uh, how profound was it that he actually sent a message from his hospital bed mm. encouraging the public uh, to to vaccinate can you give us uh, your experience of this? Yeah look that was that was really amazing and surreal um, myself and Dr. Marana Yusuf Arif um, and a few others were, were there with Mulanata when he came in and we were fortunate to visit him a few days in, in, in the ICU. And we saw the level of distress that he was in uh, medically and the requirements that he needed. But the important thing is that he still had the community's heart uh, you know, within his final thoughts. 
and that he was still able to type out a message, sort of that last wasiya that he gave to 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 us and everyone else. Mm. And it just shows us to those who who loved him and to those who really had respect for him that this final message is something that we should really reflect upon. Uh, inshallah, later on in the program, that was one of the things that I wanted to to touch on. But just to, to sort of give a tidbit now, Munataha taught us something, I think, in that message, is to remember that irrespective of what is happening in our current situation, the difficulties that we are facing, we should remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control mm. and that we should have that tawakkul. But what's important is that how do we attain that tawakkul, that mm. trust in Allah? It's not just saying that we have trust, it's taking the means. So inshallah, uh, within the program, we'll we'll discuss that in more detail. I mean, I mean, jazakumullah khairan. And uh, I will now call upon our other guests, our... I don't even know, I can't even think of a loving enough term to introduce Dr. Salim with. He's our family doctor, he's our community doctor, he's our hajj doctor, he's our travel doctor, and he's our home doctor. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Dr. Salim. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shukran again for that loving introduction. <laughs> you know, um, like uh, Dr. Um, Yusuf said, and like you said, it's difficult times. No. Um, if we, we don't have that warmth and that encouragement and that authority of the late uh, Maulana Taakaran mm. behind us in the world. It was always reassuring having him there because he'll have answers. Mm. He doesn't come, it never came and I, I still believe that he is he's with us in spirit because he doesn't come, it never came without being thoroughly prepared. Mm. And we had that background reassurance that he is there. And we're in difficult times at the moment. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him the highest place in Jannah, I mean, inshallah. Yeah. Discover, but it's difficult times. I mean, as I was, as you were doing your introduction, I got two results back of patients who are positive. I got a note from Johannesburg that they had 17 Mayats there today, one seven Muslim Mayats, um, just for today. One of our uh, family members just passed away in, uh, uh, in hospital today um, due to COVID. We've got some of our senior ulama in the hospital at the moment, their families in ICU two or three of them on ventilators yes, at the moment. So we are sitting with uh, a, a situation where I think everyone nowadays knows right. COVID is real, COVID needs to be uh, talked about and we need to be decisive as to what we say. I think the time of debating and having an opinion or, or so is gone. We Absolutely. need to be decisive Absolutely. It, inshallah. And responsible because the level of misinformation is just crazy. But before we get on with the conversation, uh, I, I gave him enough chances to uh, take his breath now, alhamdulillah. Uh, none other than our esteemed doctor, Sadiq Karim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum salam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Maaf, yes, I've been running, uh, as you can just imagine, you know, with a vaccination campaign in the province ramping up. I've been, I've been extremely busy. Right. Um, and, and I mean, it's a pleasure to be on the show again. For this show, as you both, as you all three have mentioned, you know, in, in a sense, in honor of our late uh, Mufti, may Allah grant him a highest place in Jannah, inshallah, I mean, and all the deceased. I mean, inshallah. I mean, barakallahu feekum. Um, and uh, Dr. Sadiq, it is, it is a privilege for us to host you once again. Um, we are, as Dr. Parker mentioned, in, in some very difficult times, we, we are losing precious lives and every life is precious. Uh, Dr. Salim, could we perhaps get an update on the current worldwide COVID situation in Fadlikum? Yeah, I would be lying in the Shaitan, Rajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You know, again, COVID 
is one of those viruses that is completely unpredictable. Um, just to give the latest figures, 180 million confirmed cases worldwide. We are one and a half years into the pandemic nearly 4 million deaths already. But what's more concerning is the unpredictability of it. And to start off with, I want to use the example of India, which we all know about. In December, they thought they over their worst. They started having a normal uh, return to their activities. And what happened? Um, you know, Allah alone uh, is the ultimate decider, but they had a sudden uh, increase in numbers. We looked at 400,000 cases a day at one stage in May and June, early uh, in April and June, sorry. And then we had up to 6,000 deaths um, in India at that time as well. SubhanAllah. Again, it has shifted now. India's on the downward numbers, but a country like Brazil, where we thought everything was under control, just today, had the highest number of cases ever documented in a single day. SubhanAllah. Africa, where we thought is going to be relatively spared, the numbers are increasing by 20 to 30% week on week, and some countries is actually Ajay. increased by uh, nearly 50% on a week-by-week -week basis. So this virus has knows no boundaries, it knows no boundaries mm. as far as countries or continents are concerned, as far as races are concerned, as far as nationalities are concerned, as far as religions are concerned. It, it transcends all boundaries, but it's, the problem with the virus is it's killing people. All of us know someone currently who's either sick at home, either sick in hospital or in on a ventilator, Also, we know of someone who's passed away recently. And if we don't do something about it, it's going to continue and probably get worse in the Western Cape in the next few weeks. Subhanallah. Jazakumullah uh, khairan, Dr. Parker, for that update. Um, I think I'm just having an issue with my sound. If the brothers uh, who indicated that could kindly just give us a heads up if that has improved somewhat or if we're still sitting with the issue and then we'll continue from there, inshallah. Um, testing one, two. Dr. Yusuf, can you also just check your mic? Testing, testing, one, two, three. Yeah, for some reason it's picking us up as very loud. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to try to fix that as we continue, inshallah, but let's uh, keep the program rolling. Um, so we've got an update on the COVID-19 situation, but uh, Dr. Saadi, could you perhaps get an update on the South African situation in particular, especially uh, the troubling news that we are receiving from Gauteng and here locally in the Western Cape. Yes, once again to the listeners, as Dr. Parker was saying, I think the situation is actually quite dire at the moment. I mean, we've all read and been seeing the social media posts about what's happening in Gauteng. Gauteng's having the worst ever third wave. They've by, they've by far surpassed the peak of their second wave already. Yeah. And right around nationally, around the country as well, I just looked at the at the active cases. Active cases is one of the key markers that we watch. You know, those are the number of people who are active at the moment. In South Africa at the moment, we currently have 130,416 active cases. In the Western Cape, the active caseload at the moment is sitting at 12,717. But I compared our Western Cape with, with Gauteng just to give a sense of, of scale, I guess. And Gauteng's active cases at the moment are over 67,000 active cases at the moment. So they've got a, a more than 4.3-fold 
increase in the active cases um, compared to the Western Cape. And obviously that will translate into an increased number of deaths and hospitalization. So to give you a sense quickly, Molina, and then I'll, I'll conclude with that, is the, the number of, of the current number of cases, daily daily cases in the Western Cape at the moment, we have at least 1,039 1, um, new cases per day being diagnosed in the province that, that, as we speak. We currently have roughly about 86 hospital admissions on a daily basis, and we're currently seeing about 15 deaths per day uh, in the province. I mean, so those are actually quite quite staggering uh, numbers. So even though Gauteng is obviously a lot worse than we are in the Western Cape, we are obviously concerned as a provincial government that we are, are hitting an exponential increase in the cases and consequential hospitalizations and deaths uh, in the Western Cape. Uh, subhanallah. Jazakumullah khairan for uh, sharing that with us, uh, Dr. Dr. Sadiq. Um, you know, I'm just thinking, can we, Can you know, because of all the conspiracies, mm. I'm so confused. Can we trust Dr. Sadiq, you know, because he's from the government and he's a doctor? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, uh, Dr. Yusuf, what do you think? Can, can we actually trust him? You, 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 you a doctor in the hospital, let's check if, if he's telling the truth or not. Come on. You see, Marana, the big issue I think that we have within within the Muslim community, and inshallah we'll discuss this uh, as, as, as we go on in the program, is that unfortunately we have concocted these false narratives mm. in order to find meaning with regards to what's happening in the world. Uh, I think uh, the... The, the worst students of history are mm. probably Muslims, that we do not reflect on the cyclicality of history and we do not learn from the lessons of history. If we did that just by basic study of previous events, previous pandemics, we will realize that obviously what is happening now has happened in the past. Yes, definitely the, 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 the consequences are different to a degree because of globalization and because of mass traveling and communication and so forth. But the reality is that pandemics have occurred, even within the tradition, within the Torah, uh, the Prophet وسلم, advocating you know, for measures to be put into place with Sayyidina Umar and so forth. But the problem is that because we take this victim mentality right, and then we try to create a narrative around that whereby we are the victims, we then sort of jettison, we throw all our individuals, our pioneers within our community in the dirt bin and we end up believing individuals who have no credibility. Mm. People Doctors, professionals like Dr. Salim and Dr. Karim, amongst many others, have been doing a sterling job over the past one and a half years specifically, but obviously before that as well, as you've mentioned. But for us, what we have done is that we've disregarded all of that, mm. right? Because we need to find meaning mm. in the sense of what is happening. And what happens in such a situation is that as a Muslim community, as a faith group, we become weaker, mm. right? We embarrass ourselves, we embarrass the religion, and we embarrass our Prophet وسلم, with all these conspiracy theories. And there's many reasons why conspiracy theories proliferate within faith groups. And we'll touch on that. But definitely, I don't think anyone should ever doubt the hard work, the sincerity that individuals like Dr. Karim, Dr. Parker, and all the frontline workers. And and yourself, Doctor, because you too are on the uh, you on the front line. Alhamdulillah, yes. So, so actually, ask you that question uh, not not just to be nasty to Doctor Sadiq, <laughs> but also uh, just to reiterate that look, we're not just uh, um, you're not just theoretically just spewing out the numbers that you yeah, heard. Yeah. You've seen this for yourself, isn't it? So I exactly, and that's the case. You see, uh, again, with with conspiracy theories and with all these false narratives, mm. people don't realize 
the intense level of, of, of coherency you need to actually uh, propagate or enact the conspiracy theory. Right. Essentially, what people are implying by pushing these narratives forward is that myself, Dr. Karim, uh, Dr. Salim Parker, and thousands of other Muslim healthcare professionals mm. are all in this global uh, plan to right. subdue humanity. Right. And they don't take into account the fact that people are going in the morning or going in to do a day's work mm. and to help and assist, you know, to, to, to provide khidmah for others. Yeah. So definitely, if you're not on those uh, in within these areas or these domains, then you will not see the reality as it is. Mm. But I think at this point, I think many people through family members or even themselves should be at the point whereby they are able or willing to actually accept the fact that COVID exists. Mm. SubhanAllah. Uh, I don't even know uh, where to begin when it comes to these things, but we'll continue with the with the important and uh, confirmed news, right? Dr. Salim, um, coming to again about information or misinformation, how serious is the report, and do we do we uh, do we have something to be afraid of when it comes to this report that was published about Muslim COVID deaths? Is it disproportionate? Is it not disproportionate? What's the reality there? Okay, I have to firstly acknowledge that I'm one of the authors of that paper. And what it showed was um, that the number of Muslims who are currently dying, and here we're talking about specifically after Eid al-Fitr, is disproportionate to the percentage of Muslims um, that we represent in the population. Um, I just had a quick look at the figures over the last nine days, and there were 1,480 confirmed deaths due to covid Sure. Of those, 195 were Muslims, confirmed uh, deaths, were, and these were Muslims. That's 13% of uh, deaths due to COVID being uh, in, in the Muslim population group. Now, clearly, when we consider that Muslims make out between 2 to 3% of the population of South Africa, the numbers of Muslims dying is obviously disproportionate. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. The one is that the number of deaths reported um, countrywide might be grossly underreported. For example, the, um, the Medical Research Council feels that instead of 60,000 people having passed away from COVID at the moment, probably over 150,000 passed away. And this is the reality that the number of COVID deaths are underreported. But also the number of deaths in Muslims is probably very well reflected. So that number is probably quite accurate. And the reason for that is there is a network of Muslim burial societies and an organization called um, Muslim Stats South Africa. And they specifically look at the um, number of deaths amongst Muslims in the burial societies in Cape Town, for example, in Johannesburg and Joburg will report on a daily basis the number of Muslim deaths but also the number of Muslim deaths due to COVID for them. And the reason they established Muslim Stats South Africa is, is, is one that um, uh, Maulana uh, uh, Yusuf or Dr. Yusuf will agree with. Is, I, is just, the, I just made it history. Maulana Dr. Yusuf Patel. For me, that was like... <laughs> no, but, uh, inshallah, you also get there one day. I mean, no. But, you know, the history of Islam is rich in the... In the, um, in, in the keeping of records, mm. I mean, we know, and this is what they use in their founding papers, is that when 313 Muslims went to the Battle of Badr, their names are known. Mm. The, the 14 of those martyrs, martyr we know who they are. Mm. And Islam has this history of 
of actually documenting um, events and people who took part in it. And what are we in the midst of now? We're in the midst of a pandemic. And it is, um, and the two Maulanas can reiterate that, that when people pass away in a pandemic, they are considered to be martyrs. Mm. Um, not the martyrs that die in battle, but they are considered to be martyrs. And to keep documentation of such events is quite important. So when we, so we do have good stats as far as Muslim deaths due to COVID has gone said we probably have an over sorry underrepresentation of the number of deaths countrywide but still if you're looking at 13% of deaths over the last 10 days compared to a population of only 2 to 3% mm. muslims are dying at a high rate mm. and you know we must remember that yes we looked at muslim deaths but the what we looked at was what causes the deaths and we're not looking at criticizing islam we know, for example, that the congregation in the west, along the west coast in Friedendal, where there was a church service, quite a few people got together and nine of the congregants passed away after, congreg after contacting COVID. So the um, underlying issue there was a congregation. Now, similarly, when we look at the uh, at, at what, where Muslims could possibly um, spread the virus, we know that any place of congregation can lead to that. Where we had the documentation of was uh, was the timeline as to when it started. Um, this a sudden having a sudden increase, and this was just after the period of of Ramadan and Eid al-Fitr. So we could correlate the two. We're not saying that Islam is the bad religion or Islam causes deaths. No, we're saying that the activities that people are warned against and that we know can actually um, lead to spreading, which is congregations, unsafe congregations, not following protocols congregations. Those are the type of uh, events um, that can lead to an increased number of deaths amongst Muslims. So when the Western province and the Western Cape looked at it, they didn't only look at massages, for example. The study only looked at that. But what it, the study also showed was that in the Indian population, where we know that there's a higher percentage of diabetes, hypertension, obesity compared to the rest of the population, even if you take all those factors into account, the number of deaths amongst the Indian population who are hospitalized due to COVID-19 is 11% more mm. compared to the rest of the population and 35% more compared to whites, for Ajay. example. That's interesting. Okay, so it is quite important but doc, to be aware uh, of the background. I hope you, you're ready to receive all the fatwas of kufr against you after yes. after this, after you're saying that Islam is, is, is the, the bad guy. That's why we are reiterating. We didn't say Islam. We said it's the activity, <laughs> the non-adherence to the protocols. I think I think you're accustomed to all those uh, kufr fatwas now, Doc. I mean, this is this has yeah. been a, a bumpy ride where that is concerned. It's actually quite a shame, Doc. In relation to that, uh, Doctor Yusuf, I'd like to ask you actually about the uh, type of fatwas floating around that's saying that look, yeah, if you're mildly ill with COVID, you should still go to the masjid. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure many of the viewers out there uh, become aware of the various fatwa that have been shared and without going into uh, specifics with regards to who has shared that who has uh, who has drafted those fatwa all i want to say uh, just very basically and simplistically is that that's been extremely reckless and um, not taking into account the consequences the medical consequences and the social consequences and again it feeds in back 
to the, 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 the fact that we as Muslims will be targeted within this country for being irresponsible, that we again are not giving a true representation of our religion. As Dr. Salim mentioned now, it's not Islam. Mm. I think Islam is replete with the fact that we need to take primary healthcare measures. Right? That's, that's within, within our Torah. But the problem is that it's the application. It's that uh, monolithic and that very dogmatic approach that people are adopting. And that in itself has a history on its own because mm. it's within certain centers or within certain institutions that these fatawa are coming out from. Right. But again, what I would like our audience to, to reflect upon, and again, I don't want to go into specifics of the fatwa, but if we look at what that fatwa is preaching, we should ask ourselves from an ethical perspective or from a spiritual perspective, mm. is it even remotely possible to expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, ex to accept uh, or to deem our ibadat uh, valid right. if we are going to base that worship ibadah on dishonesty with other people? And we are not going to ensure that we take into account the rights of others. The hukuk al-ibad is linked to the hukuk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. And I think those type of fatawa just betrays that that uh, that foundation right. at its very uh, at its very premise. Yeah, no, I subhanAllah, I can recall. And I've been I've been spreading and alhamdulillah I saw a sort of a spontaneous spread of the mm -hmm. first program we had with uh, our late teacher Munata yes, Karan yes. and uh, Dr. Shamim Jamdulay. And in there, he highlighted, and subhanAllah, I think if anybody still has any confusion with regards to uh, the fatwa about vaccines and, yes. and the, and the sh shari view of vaccines, I highly advise that you go and look at that program. You can subscribe to uh, Isnad Academy. It will probably mm -hmm. come up in your feed or you can search for it. Um, and that was really, I think, um, everything that we needed to know. And then over and above that, uh, Mona Taha also authored his book, um, Fleeing from Fate mm. to Fate, 40 yes. Ahadith on Contagion and Pandemics. Again, the commentary therein, it's not just the Ahadith, his commentary on the Ahadith makes the work so much more valuable um, because he elaborates on how we should understand uh, many things that mm -hmm. is, you know, sort of uh, needing clarity at the moment. Uh, Dr. Sadiq, I'd like to come back to you, inshallah ta'ala. We believe you now. We can trust you. We've got uh, a Molina said that we can believe you. Um, oh, so, shukran so um, now I just wanted to know, is, is, the, uh, is the restrictions, are the restrictions seemingly unfair towards religious gatherings only? Uh, what's the situation around that? Mm. No, as, as uh, both my, my colleagues have now said, I think it's really quite important that the Muslim community take heed and follow the restrictions that have been put into place. Mm. You know, in the Western Cape, we're fortunate that we've got a number of public health specialists uh, who are, and people like, in fact, I'm a public health specialist as well. We, we study we study the, the, the epidemiology of disease outbreaks and we follow the kind of preventive measures that help curtail the sort of pandemics mm. around the world and the curfews that have been put into place the restrictions that have been put into place are in fact there for good for good purpose and um, the evidence is actually absolutely clear as dr salim had mentioned now that gatherings is a significant source um, of the spread of the virus it's mm. been shown has been documented right around the world so limiting gatherings you know you know sometimes our people can also be a bit a bit naughty in a sense you know oh no you know i um oh, oh we can have a, a secret gathering or we can have, and in fact when we've, we've seen we've seen secret parties and secret gatherings taking mm. place that defeats the whole purpose this is exactly why we would have entered the third wave in the western cape we've been asking and 
putting out community communication to our communities to avoid large gatherings as, as far as possible. We have shown, and you know, we 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 people of, of science and, and religion at the same time, but we have shown cluster outbreaks amongst family members unsocial gatherings, people who have gathered together for a braai, as Dr. Salim mentioned, also a small family type of gathering, people who've documented cases where that has led to a spread, a little cluster outbreak. And those cluster outbreaks have in fact been dominating the pattern of spread right across the province over the last couple of weeks. And that's why we are beginning to see this exponential increase um, in our cases at the moment. So the curfews, the restrictions on gatherings are actually there for, for good reason. Obviously, the normal measures of masking and social distancing also apply. Yeah, I actually found it very interesting how people became uh, analysts online. As soon as the president mentions the numbers, you know, like uh, 50 indoors and 250 outdoors, and then you'll mm. find comments. And and it it behooves me, like, where this comes from, but you'll find comments saying, so, you know, 50, uh, then the virus won't spread, but more than 50, then the virus will spread. I mean, uh, you know, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, what, I've, what I've sort of come to understand is that people find it difficult to grapple with the issues which mm-hmm. are around for maybe lack of information or whatever the case may be. But uh, how would you advise people, Doc, uh, in terms of those who genuinely want answers, but they're getting mixed signals? So it's an elderly lady Mm -hmm. and her GP tells her, you know, I wouldn't take the vaccine if I was you, Mm -hmm. right? What is she to do? She's now in her 70s. She's now trying to decide. How do you advise uh, the person out there who's not one of the foil foil cap wearing conspiracy Mm -hmm. theorists, but rather they are just looking for the truth? Yes. So How would you advise they go forward on that? Yeah, you see, that's the, I think that's the, 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 the difficult situation that we are all in, whether as medical professionals or whether as community leaders or, or as scholars. It's, it's, it's really how do we impart that evidence-based uh, knowledge across uh, to, 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 to the general neutral public. And again, the sad reality is that we find these fringe groups Individuals who are spewing false narratives that uh, are promoting uh, initially the fact that COVID did not exist—that was that was the first uh, view that they were that they were promoting until it became uh, uh, impossible to deny, and then they started moving mercurially across mm. to other yeah, other yeah. narratives and stories. But again, the problem is that and the five G things, five G, all these, and again, it's not that these things don't have value. You know, I want to say that as well. We are, we have to be critical with everything. I think that's something that uh, as Muslims we need to take uh, with pride that we need to analyze. And and we need to be critical, but we also need to base our knowledge on evidence. Right? We need to have burhan. We cannot just uh, concoct ideas from our own uh, personal uh, opinions without basing it on anything substantial. But the challenge that we all finding is how do we get across to that general public? And again, I have not met any doctor who's actively working within mm. the field, uh, whether it's in the hospitals or within their own GP practices that are denying COVID or are dissuading the public for, for to not take vaccines. Mm. I think there are genuine concerns and I think we should respect that as well. Um, I have met uh, doctors who state that they're not against vaccines, right? And this is an important point. They're not against vaccines, but personally, 
as individuals, they just want to wait perhaps a couple of months because they want to see the outcomes of the various trials. Mm. And that's something that we have to respect. But they are not actively against vaccination as a science. And I think that's the issue that many people are getting drowned within. They are hearing stories uh, which are false, that mm. people are dying after they take the vaccine one or two weeks. So you can say that with you can say that with a level of certainty that these studies are false. People are not dying after having taken the vaccine. No, because at the end of the day, as we know within Islam, the Islamic qaeda principle is that the claimant has to provide the burden of proof. Mm. And we haven't seen any proof, right? There's a, a distinction between co- causation and correlation. Yes, someone might pass away, right, after taking the vaccine. But it does not mean that the vaccine was responsible for the death. There might have been a totally other external cause that resulted in the person passing away. Mm. The person would have probably passed away in any case. Mm. So again, we need to prove that the vaccine uh, is the ultimate cause of the person passing away. And I don't think that we've actually, or these groups have provided that at all. However, rhetoric is very easy to, to, to put together. And what is happening is that people are just throwing, they are flooding the general public with these false narratives and these, uh, these these incorrect opinions, and that psychologically just forces people to accept, or rather, as as we know, would uh, accept and 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 follow the side of caution. Mm. So we're not there to force anyone. I think we 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 should accept that everyone um, has the ability to decide for themselves. That individuals are autonomous, right? We live in a pluralistic democratic society, so no one is forcing anyone. But the reality is that you have to understand the social consequences. And if you are going to take a decision, then you have to understand that there will be limitations against you if you take your position. But if you're true to your position, whatever that may be, then you cannot be upset with the restrictions that have been in place. Mm. So just again, to, to, to answer the question, it's been very difficult to convince people with the evidence that we've had because of these false stories. But at the same time, I've not met any active practicing doctor that has ever denied COVID. Yes, there are doctors uh, who have denied COVID, who are on not the anti-vaccination. Yeah, mm. no, that's the point, exactly. Mm. They're not practicing. Um, they are perhaps in alternative medical uh, um, uh, domains and, and they are seeing patients within those spaces and within those areas. But the reality is that we haven't seen any specific doctors come out and actually state that firstly, COVID is, 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 is a hoax. And secondly, that the vaccine is causing deaths or are causing deaths and that you should not take the vaccine because it is a conspiracy to mm. either subdue you or to control you. SubhanAllah. You know what I find? It, there's something that I really need to uh, sort of ask everyone here. That where's the money, people? Because if if what the people are saying is true, then, then my guests tonight should be rolling in cash because you guys are getting paid by the government and you're getting paid to sign off COVID deaths. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was wondering, where's my cut? Because I've been telling people <laughs> to vaccinate and I'm not getting any money from it. So that's a bit uh, unfair. Um, but, you know, so all I'm say, Dr. Salim, I want to come back to you on a serious note here, inshallah. Um, the numbers seem to be growing and seem to be quite serious in school children and uh, even younger adults. Like with the first and second wave, we saw that predominantly elderly were af- affected badly. And younger people, more healthy uh, people, especially children, um, they were not uh, affected as badly. Uh, the stats sh- seem to be showing a change now. Is that is that true, Dr. Salim? You know, the, uh, if you look at the number of to be, uh, children getting infected, it seems to be uh, 
um, definitely higher. Um, we're seeing more kids being uh, de- uh, being tested, and we're also seeing them being uh, t- testing positive. But they tend to be mild disease. I mean, I think the overall picture of children having mild disease hasn't changed really. So, but this because the numbers are increasing in totality, uh, and the proportion of children also uh, is increasing. So the real number of uh, children testing positive is increasing as well. Um, Yes, there are cluster outbreaks. And that's why, for example, in uh, Gauteng, for example, 32 schools have closed already because there's been quite a number of of children that were infected in there. Now, there is a difference between children attending a particular school um, testing positive and where they actually got the uh, the infection from. Mm. Now, this is a study against the evidence-based, so which hasn't been published yet, but it's going to come out pretty soon, showed that children who picked up a uh, an infection, picked it up at, if they pick it up at home, they didn't get it from other children. They got it from an adult who introduced it into the household. Mm. So at the moment, we're seeing an a increase in schools, but it hasn't been identified yet whether the spread is actually in the school itself, whether they're picking it up at other places where people gather, um, where there's no real protocols in place, and then just being testing uh, once they get sick and they happen to be in the say, For example, a school like, um, uh, one in, say for example, in the islands, mm. the children live in the area most of the time. Yes, they are obviously outliers, but most of the kids will live in the uh, periphery of the school itself or in and around the school. So if a school has a number of cases, the possibility is that it is spread in the school, but the evidence shows that they actually pick it up at home or in other places and then are then identified to be children infected attending a particular school. Um, uh, Dr. Karim will probably be able to, uh, to expand on that, but it hasn't been shown yet that is uh, that they spread in particular schools. You'll find one or two in a class in, for example, school X, then one or two in another class or another grade. So it's not one uh, child being mm. testing positive in grade 1A and then suddenly six in that class is uh, is positive. Mm. It seems to be spreading all over the show. Khair. Uh, Dr. Sadiq, in relation to that, uh, what's your comments in, mm. in this regard? And also, what's the measure in place for uh, Western Cape teachers? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's absolutely quite correct. And people must remember, the audience must remember, we are now in what we call community transmission. Mm. So in other words, exactly what Dr. Salim is saying, that the spread is happening out in the communities where people live, where we live. It's, it's happening in the shopping malls or, or it might be happening at home or I mean, the family gatherings type. So it's community spread. That, that, that's the key. And that is where obviously children and adults are, 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 are picking up the infection. And obviously people are now testing positive. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of the, the teachers and vaccine, I'll come back to just an interesting fact, Molina. We, since we started the vaccination program uh, in the province, we, uh, we've observed, we have, a, we have a, very, a very tight protocol driven, what we call adverse events following uh, immunization. Mm-hmm. And so far we've recorded 354 as of the 11th of June, adverse events following immunization. Mm-hmm. 91% of those have been absolutely minor. Um, 7% have been a little bit more severe. Um, all have either recovered or are recovering. 
there have been three deaths, uh, um, but all three of those deaths were natural causes. And that's mm. exactly what Molina, uh, Dr. Yusuf Patel was saying now. Those are all natural deaths. And, but but people, people in their minds make the link, unfortunately, between the vaccine uh, and the death. And then yeah. those, the, the, those stories get proliferated in the social media. I can talk a little bit about the vaccination for teachers, if you like. So at the no. moment, the Western Cape government had started that program yesterday. As you might have seen, we had a successful launch with uh, our colleagues in the Western Cape Education department. We vaccinated 50 educators yesterday. It's just a launch to test the systems, make sure that the cold chains maintain um, etc. that the booking system works well and today alhamdulillah we continued that and we vaccinated just about 800 um, additional educators at the one site. Mm. From tomorrow we are launching a more widespread We've got two sites in the metropole and we've got about 27 sites spread across the rural areas. And that program is aimed specifically at our teachers, alhamdulillah, because our teachers really play a really important role in society because it's been shown that the effects of poor education, particularly for the last 15, 16 months of lost education, will be felt for decades to come. These are the future breadwinners of our society and we also need to protect uh, the teachers. We need to protect our children, inshallah. Subhanallah. Um, there's been a question and I've also got it as one of the comments I was going to make and I'll, I will ask the doctors to comment on this. Um, the fatwa regarding masajid at the moment, uh, as far as I know, um, it, things have not changed. Um, you know, the, the, the recommendation was that if masajid are able to uh, uphold the precautions that, that's recommended, then they may remain open with, of course, the government's uh, rules and regulations in place. But if not, then they should rather... Uh, close down. Uh, Dr. Salim, Dr. Yusuf Patel, Dr. Molina Yusuf Patel, uh, can you give us some comment regarding this, inshallah? So, uh, look, I'll leave that, I'll leave the, the, the longer winded answer to, to Dr. Salim and to, to Dr. Karim. But I think from, from, from our side, you know, individuals who are based within these institutions, the masajid and so forth, we need to be honest with ourselves. The board committees, the committees and the, the, the imams or the shuyukh, they need to be honest with regards to how they are going to apply those specific uh, precautions. If there's any doubt within their minds that they will not be able to fulfill uh, the amana of protecting the community with the strictest of precautions, then they should not uh, open up the masajid. Because we know how, 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 how congregations move in and how they move out. Yes, theoretically, we assume that people would keep to a specific distance, but that's not the practical reality on the ground. People come in and people come out. You have a few individuals who obviously will use this opportunity to go to the extreme to actually prove and to make a scene whereby they would uh, contravene those actual uh, mm. precautions. And so we, again, just need to be honest with regards to how we're going to implement these precautions. If we can't, then I think we should do the right thing and that we should keep the massage closed. Uh, but if we feel that we are able to and we are able to self-audit and we can minimize interaction with the resources that mm. we have or that masajids have, then by all means, uh, we should go ahead. Can I just be the juvenile devil's advocate here quickly and say, so you're saying that the masajid must close because they can't control 50 and spatial distancing and all of these things, then why is it okay for the shopping malls and the taxis and so on to operate as per normal? Why are we so quick to close the house of Allah? I think I did a good job at wording the way that would be on Facebook. Perhaps yes, sir, with some no, uh, expletives just, you know, taken out there. But uh, what, what do you say about that, Dr. Yusuf? 
So uh, just uh, just on the lighter note, you know, I, I also made a, a statement once with regards to taking uh, the position of the devil's advocate. And one of my teachers said, the devil has enough advocates. Yeah, <laughs> so, don't, don't, you know, yeah. There's, there's it's, it's no bad, it yeah. is a bad thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I just, so, so alhamdulillah, <laughs> just, I thought uh, with the serious conversation, let's just have a light moment in there. But um, look, again, uh, for me, I think the important thing is that we take responsibility for ourselves. Many a times we have this notion that we have to be reactionary to whatever occurs, to whatever threat we perceive within our community or society. We should do the right thing. Mm. We should not wait for the shopping malls or mm. we should wait for all other institutions to close down and then take that position. We know that within the masajid or within any enclosed space, there's a possibility of transmission, particularly mm. now in, 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 in this third wave. Mm. So I believe such a statement is just uh, passing the buck on to other institutions. We have our own ethical tradition. Uh, we have our own religious basis where we can make decisions. And I think we should base our decisions internally, not based on um, external mm. Uh, mm. societal institutions. We should actually be proactive enough to inspire the government yeah. to take stringent uh, mm. uh, precautions. Actually, it's, it's, it's actually very funny if you think about it. It's like, uh, you know, why can't I throw the windows if they can throw the windows type of thing? It's, yes, it's, yes, a, exactly. it's a weird argument. But uh, Dr. Salim, your comment on the Masajid at the moment? Yeah, you know, uh, firstly, I think the MJC in the Western Cape has to be commended for actually taking a proactive step even before the government did with the first mm. lockdown where we advised. Uh, and I don't like using the term Masajid should close. Mm. I think we use the term Congregational salah should be limited. And, you know, it seems that everyone says, whenever we say, uh, don't go to congregational salah, it seems uh, people perceive that to say, don't go there, but go to the malls. Hmm. The same action, you know, we are asked about the masajid, so we respond as far as the masajids are concerned. If someone has to ask me, so this, should you then go to the malls? I said, absolutely not. In my mind, you are probably safer in the, masa in the masjid that is following proper proper protocols mm. than going into a mall and sitting in a food court having a meal absolutely. there. Um, absolutely. So I've seen, uh, sorry to cut your words, Doc, but I've, I've actually yeah. seen how well some of the masajid uh, really have been, um, you know, taking the, the responsibility seriously. It, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. The systems that are in place, they spend a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes commitment from the, the community members. So just uh, kudos to those masajid committees and imams who've, who've managed to uphold this. Uh, sorry to cut your words, Doc. Yeah, no, no, no problem. I, I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning that. And I think those masajids should be commended, you know, and there should be an example for other masjids to be, uh, you know, to be, um, to be following. Mm. And Allah, the intention is to applaud those masajids uh, doing yeah. a good job. But there's also the issue, and this is what I noticed when I was out of Cape Town recently, mm. where one of the masjids that I went for Maghrib um, had a section for those who don't believe in protocols, so they had no mask, they stood shoulder to shoulder. Mm. And those, and literally, this is the sense that you get there, those with lesser iman go stand on the other side, have some space between them. And, uh, you know, but they are clearly being considered to be uh, uh, those of a lesser iman. And it is, you know, it, it's time to be very realistic that why are there 19 deaths, for example, today um, in, in Gauteng? It's because of practices like that. It's not, the, it's not the masjid. It's not the Islam. It is the practice of our people who don't believe that this virus is a serious threat and who don't believe in following the protocols, which firstly 
is compulsory in South Africa. Yes, it's not being punished at the moment, which I think it should be uh, more. They should it should be more severely uh, policed. Mm. Uh, it's also not properly being followed. But really, it's there in place to protect the population. And the vast majority of the ulama worldwide, we're not even talking about South Africa, mm. now we're talking about worldwide, feel that at the moment, besides vaccination, adhering to those protocols is the best way of protecting the ummah until we find alternate and better measures where we can back to our get back to our normal lives again. Inshallah. I mean, I mean, I mean, no, subhanAllah, I will stand by that. I think... Uh, for the foreseeable future until anything else can manifest itself as hard evidence. That's what my teacher fought for. That's what his book is about. If you're mm. still not sure about how and why, and you know, uh, these matters have been clarified in the greatest detail. Please, for the person who, who has not read the book, but has these questions and are not yet convinced by what the, the guests are saying this evening, um, you can only speak if you've read the book. You know, read the book. If your answers are still not found, then inshallah ta'ala, you can ask further questions. But uh, alhamdulillah, um, the late Munataha Karan had done a sterling job in uh, laying down those things. I just want to get to one of the more serious issues. Now, Dr. Salim, uh, you're going to have to really make up some brilliant excuse here because you've taken the vaccine, Right. Uh, you can't speak Chinese or Mandarin just yet, but you did get COVID <laughs> after taking the yes. vaccine. Astaghfirullah So you've been lying to us all this time. Yes, I've not been lying. And yes, I took the vaccine. And yes, I did get COVID. And, and now you can't speak Mandarin, speak, right? Um, I try, I can try, but I think uh, this is not a comedy show, so we're not going to, <laughs> we're not going to get the audience uh, reaction that I would then like. But the, look, I took the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And let's look at the facts of Johnson & Johnson, and this is what we say right at the beginning. It's 66% effective against preventing mild disease. So if 100 people take the vaccine, and I'm, I'm generalizing now, 33 of them will still get mild disease. How mild? It varies from having a runny nose, a scratchy throat, and a bit of a cough. In my case, I had a muscle stiffness of a few hours after running. And the only reason I tested was that I never get muscle stiffness after running 10 Ks, maybe after 20 Ks. And also, I've been exposed to at least 30 uh, COVID cases in the week prior to that. Uh, confirmed cases, so I thought, let me test. What symptoms did I have? Muscle stiffness for a couple of hours and nothing after that. And 10 days of being locked up by the police at home, also known as my wife and, and children. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so I assume I, they're sleeping at the moment. The, uh, no, they're around. 33% oh, 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 uh, oh. of people get mild cases. But look, what's it positive? Over 90% of people will not get into hospital, mm. will not die. And this is why we use the Johnson & Johnson. Yes, we're still going to get a number of people getting the infection. Like, I'm a living example. But 90% plus, sometimes it's less. And certain studies show 85% plus of people um, will not get sick enough to be admitted to hospital and will not die from due, to the, uh, due to contracting the virus. So clearly the benefits there are way, way more than the possible harm and the uh, and the side effects of the vaccine. Hmm. So yes, if the, the that was the vaccine, the Johnson and Johnson, which was available for the healthcare workers. Then the vast majority will get the uh, Pfizer vaccine, which is much more effective in preventing mild disease and also severe disease and deaths. 
the teachers are getting the Johnson & Johnson one. And again, here, I want to emphasize to the general public, don't spread false rumors. I've got two phone calls from young teachers, recently married, um, who, were, who told me that they were informed that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine causes infertility. Now, they just recently married. They want to have children. Um, where people come up with these type of rumors, it's, it's nowhere in the literature. Nowhere does it state, uh, or there's this even a, 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 a grain of evidence that there might be some form of, uh, of infertility caused by the vaccine. The virus itself, we think, can actually uh, attack the testes of males and possibly reduce sperm counts. So if you get the infection, there's a chance of maybe, we don't even know that, but of maybe males being affected from a fertility point of view. There's nothing that as far as we know, and I don't know where people start spreading these type of rumors that the, the vaccine itself can cause infertility in females. There's no substance mm. to that at all. I don't know if it's if it's a bit uh, sinister of me, but I take a lot of comfort in the fact that the first people to really take the vaccine en masse was like United States of America and Israel and mm. all these uh, first world westernized countries. Uh, but that's just a sinister little thought in my head. So if you're going to you're willing to take it first, you know, then yeah. But uh, Subhanallah, mm. it's it's countries such as third world countries, yeah. Palestine. Uh, you know, this is now the unfortunate uh, end of the stick. So Allah knows best, but we move on inshallah ta'ala um, just with regards to vaccine uh, reluctancy or hesitancy. Uh, I'm going to address this question first to Dr. Sadiq and then to uh, Dr. Patel as well. Uh, how do you address this, uh, Dr. Sadiq? So this is quite an important issue, Amolana, because and it's pro- in fact, it's examples, programs like this where we have conversations with experts in the field um, that we can actually, in fact, address the myths and all the, the conspiracy theories that are that are out there. So from a departmental perspective, so for example, if I just take the vaccination of the teachers, we produce a little video clip that we're passing to teachers. We've produced some um, information packs. So when they come for their vaccination, we can obviously give them the facts about the vaccination. We've been on the, we've been on the air. We've been communicating with people, the general public and with various groups to try and provide people with the facts um, and as we said earlier, you know, we being people of science and religion, we believe in providing people with the facts so that people can actually understand. Because the myriad of social tweets out there about all kinds of um, conspiracy theories actually does harm. And if I can appeal for one thing and ask for one thing and from my side as a take-home message for this evening to our communities, not to spread those kinds of false messages. If you're not sure, Molina, as you said, read it up or contact people that you know who can provide you with the answers. If 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 in Molina Tar said this and in fact in our conversations with the Muslim Judicial Council, you know, and I just want to commend them once again for the brave stances that they have taken. Uh, we, Dr. Salim and, and I have been told many times, you know, when it comes to matters of medicine and medical related matters, they will ask our opinion. And when it comes to matters of religion, for example, we will defer to yourselves because you've studied and you've taken that amanat upon yourself in in that respect. We've taken an amanat upon ourselves to provide people with the truth, provide people with information so that people can actually uh, make up their minds. But vaccine hesitancy is still a factor amongst a number of people and it's programs and talking about it and programs like this that we hope to to, to reduce um, the number of the, that, sort of, that sort of impact of vaccine hesitancy amongst our people. Uh, Dr. Yusuf, your, your take? So I think uh, the important thing for us is that we have conversations with all stakeholders 
which include our patients and those within the broader community. Um, I think it's been shown as well that any aggressive approach with individuals who um, are not keen to take a vaccine does not really help uh, in the long run. Uh, what happens is that you just create a sense of animosity amongst people and then a disdain against the scientific community. So I think having a conversation, being able to agree to disagree on certain matters, I think that's a starting point. And then obviously with our patients, um, it's important to inform them. And here it's very important as well, um, you know, just a general pharmacological principle that any modality of therapy will have some form of side effects. So no one is denying the fact that a vaccine will not have a side effect. Some of us, for example, after we took the vaccine, we had some muscle pain in the region where they injected the vaccine. Uh, some others, such as my wife, had rigors and fevers. And all this has been documented. This has never been hidden uh, surreptitiously from anyone. I think that's the important thing here to note, that all of these things were documented and they were shown to the community. But the anti-vaccination lobby has not shown us anything substantial. So there's definitely a, a, a discrepancy between uh, the two groups. And then again, I think after going through these various processes of having a conversation, providing the, 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 the truthful evidence that exists within the scientific community, then I believe the individuals should take the decision upon themselves to decide if they want to take it or not. And again, you have the right to decide for yourself. We live in a democratic society, right? Everyone has that right. But what's important is that we do not create these false narratives to dissuade other people within the community. I think that's ethically and religiously wrong. Mm. Unless we have substantial proof, which is objective, which can be analyzed, which can be looked at, then I don't think we have any right to dissuade other people within the community to take uh, these approaches. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I, for your for your sake, Doc, um, I, I hope and pray that you are right because remember, and I'm saying this uh, in a funny way actually, that we, we all Muslim and we can't lie and we know that we're going to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the day of Qiyamah uh, and we're putting people's lives at stake. I mean, these are, I'm saying these things, but mm -hmm. these are such simple axiomatic truths to, mm -hmm. to Muslims, let alone Muslim doctors, let alone Muslim doctors who are also scholars. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if I'm just trying to imagine a situation in which you would have advocated for something uh, because you, you're getting a, a salary on the side um, and you're willing to put people's lives at stake. It's just, it's, it's beyond me. You know, I don't have that type of thoughts about other people, so I can't imagine other people having that thoughts about uh, the ulama or Muslim yes. doctors and so on. It's, it's beyond me. And, and then to top it all off, um, what's really, really strange is that uh, people become so easily uh, convinced of things which are not true when mm -hmm. there's no evidence, there's no, you know, people of veracity, people of uh, people of upstanding nature and qualities yes, in yes, the community yes. standing by it. Yeah. So that's uh, Allah knows best. You see, you see, just uh, just to, to add to that, Walana, before you go to the, the next question, you see, when, when, when people make these type of claims and these type of statements, they need to understand the implications of what these statements Absolutely. actually are. You are essentially uh, insulting, firstly, the intelligent mm. intelligence of many hardworking individuals such as Dr. Salim Parker, Dr. Karim, and the thousands of healthcare professionals mm. around the country and around the world. People that are actually doing something, mm. right? Not individuals who are sitting at home, sitting on the computer, arguing online, 
within their own uh, comfortable spaces. These are people that are going in every day, that are exposing themselves, right? They are sacrificing from their time, from their wealth, and also from their own health to ensure that others are in a state um, of, 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 of health. Now, for me, when you criticize and you imply that these individuals are part of some global conspiracy yeah, and they sellouts. are sellouts, mm. you are insulting them, right? And this is a very dangerous thing, right? Because these are the people that you run to when you are ill. Mm. And I find that extremely, extremely contradictory that so many people made so many statements against the medical fraternity yeah. in general, yet when they were sick, in the in private, mm. they would call the doctors or they call those individuals. Uh, and the same thing applies to the with the ulama. Like I, I, it's I sometimes open Facebook and I cringe. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, the things that people are willing to say about not just one or two scholars, mm -hmm. but like they will say the MJC. Now yeah. remember, the MJC is the overwhelming majority of scholars in uh, Western Cape. Yeah. So if you just like condemning all of them to hell in your Facebook post, mm -hmm. then it, it's like, wow, you know, how confident are you in your truth mm -hmm. that you're willing to send all of these people to Jahannam, they're all kuffar, they're all munafikun, etc. And you are right, you and your conspiracy theory brothers. No, so uh, yeah. like you said, it's insulting to the doctors, it's insulting to the ulama as well. Um, and and to be, you actually, you know, there are people who actually believe that they are sellouts, like they're receiving mm -hmm. money to make a certain statement or yes. that they, they've been duped or whatever the case may be, subhanAllah. Yeah. Um, I, I want to also ask about um, some of the other reports uh, that have come to the fore. Uh, Dr. Salim, this one is specifically for you. Um, blood clots and heart problems. Is this, is there a, are there any sort of, you know, paper traced from the vaccination to these issues? Okay, you know, firstly, let's look at sources of information. I, mm -hmm. I like touching on this one. Um, if you have an adverse effect, you can report it, especially in the United States. So if, uh, for example, if I was living in the United States and what happened in my case, I had my vaccine. I went to my sister's house and I got bitten by a parrot because I was teasing it. I could theoretically state that after getting my vaccine, I got bitten by a parrot. Mm. So is that real or not? Mm. You know, no, I'm using a, 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 a weird example because these are the type of things that we actually see being mm. reported. And everything gets reported. So if you want to look at how many dog bites there were, for example, after taking a vaccine, you'll probably find a few. But is it linked? Of course not. I mean, that's why I made a, uh, I used my personal absurd uh, example there. So if you're looking at blood clots and Johnson & Johnson vaccine, for example, we're looking at, in the, in the United States, at one stage, 10 million shots were given of the Johnson & Johnson um, vaccine. Of, and there were 44 blood clots um, that followed people who actually took the vaccine. But were they all related? Now, let's look at the background in the United States. On a yearly basis, about the, a million people get blood clots in the uh, United States. About 100,000 people die due to blood clots. And if you have COVID-19, you land in hospital, the chance of you getting a blood clot is 20%. So COVID itself is probably a, a uh, cause of blood clots by a factor of 10 to the million more yeah. than actually taking the vaccine. Um, so we there's don't actually, know There's actually a personal 44. case, uh, Doc, my, my, my brother. Um, he was one of the, he had COVID. He, we, well, he probably had COVID because the whole family had it in his house. He just never showed any signs. And um, 
nonetheless, uh, a couple of months down the line, and he got the blood clot in his leg. He obviously wasn't vaxxed, but he got the blood right. clot. So that was so just... the chance of getting it from the disease itself, from COVID itself, is, I mean, really up by a magnitude of factors higher than getting it from the vaccine itself. Now, if you just look at the Johnson & Johnson in South Africa, um, after the first 300,000 cases uh, of people who got vaccinated, there were six reported blood clots. But these are people who were uh, in the first place uh, prone to getting blood clots, pregnancy, for example, um, people who are at other high risk. And just to put it in perspective, a person who takes the uh, oral contraception and there's a number of our, of our viewers and listeners using it, they have a, a, a higher risk of getting a blood clot compared to the vaccine of a magnitude of 35 times higher. Now, now we don't suddenly tell people don't take the uh, oral contraceptive anymore. But yet we want to force people to stop taking the, uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, for example. Again, there's no such thing as the perfect vaccine. It doesn't exist. All of them will have some type of uh, side effects. The vast majority of, of uh, like you've all mentioned, are the mild ones. A bit of a sore arm, a bit of fever, uh, maybe not feeling uh, well for a day or two. That's the absolutely overwhelming majority. But there's always going to be the possibility of getting um, uh, one out of a million, two out of a million people getting a severe reaction. And that is what we have to weigh up with. The benefits of taking the vaccine far exceeds the known side effects and the uh, severe adverse effects. Mm. When it comes to heart problems, the, uh, uh, the, the Pfizer vaccine has been associated with inflammation of the heart lining um, in younger adults, and there are more males and more the younger population. Again, we do find it in the population, whether they're, taking, uh, whether they're taking vaccines or not. So the studies are currently looking at, is there a higher proportion in the, young, uh, in the younger population that took the Pfizer vaccine compared to those who are not? And, but because the numbers are so low, you know, if you have one in the uh, non-vaccinated group and one in the other group, it's one per say 10 million. If you have one extra one in either group, hmm. the difference is 50% higher, but the numbers is only one difference. One. So you can't just look at the numbers here or just the percentage because yes, 50% higher is, yo, it is, it is uh, you know, it is the catastrophe. Hmm. But one compared to two out of a couple of million yeah. is really nothing in the sense of statistics. And I think that's, this is what people um, forget to look at. Again, we're not saying there's no side effects. No, not at all. But we're saying that the numbers of side effects is so minuscule compared to the benefits as far as the current knowledge is, uh, goes. Right, right. Okay, Jazakumala Khairan. I find it so interesting that uh, anti-vaxxers would sometimes choose to watch our programs and comment. Now, I, I generally allow the comments if it's questions, if it's just, you know, but once they start getting a bit rude and they start uh, trying to spread information in the comment section of a program that Isnad Academy is hosting, then unfortunately I have to block them because, you know, I don't want to be host to that type of comments. Rude and uh, misinformation, there's enough of that. But the interesting thing for me is that they'd actually spend time watching uh, this. But uh, what this is for is not to debate. This is for information. Um, there's many, many, many sources of misinformation. Open up your WhatsApp, open up your Facebook. There you can find anything, entertainment, etc. Yeah, we want to get Muslim, uh, well, not necessarily Muslim, but for now it's, it's Muslim doctors who we can trust. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, who also have been on the front line since the beginning of this thing, and also uh, scholars who can contribute from the Islamic perspective as well. So uh, that's the intent of the program. And if anybody doesn't like that, unfortunately, that's what we have chosen to to host uh, to hold as our standards, inshallah. Um, we came, we're coming to the end now. Uh, Dr. Sadiq, in relation to what Dr. Salim had, had just mentioned to us, where can people report adverse effects uh, here locally? Absolutely. So the number of, of places that people can report an adverse adverse event, they can either go to their to, to any public facility. We have, as I mentioned earlier, a, a very clear protocol in place for reporting adverse events. Everything, absolutely everything gets documented. It gets studied by a panel. And obviously, decision gets made in terms of its validity. But um, they can either go to a public facility where they can report it. Obviously, they go to choose to go to their private GP. We've also got standards for that. Otherwise, if people don't know where else to turn to, they could even call the Western Cape um, Contact Center. And Molina, mm. if you don't mind, I can give people that number oh, on here. It is it is oh eight six zero one four two one four two. And we have a team of people that already able to to direct the the, the 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 query. And obviously, if it's an adverse event following immunization, there's a certain protocol that we follow, um, and the team will be able to to direct that. Um, there's also a, a a safety app. It's called the Med Safety app, and one can find it online. Um, and it's obviously hosted by the SAPRA, the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority, where these can also be documented. So there's a range of of of, of, of places where where these can be documented. But they would have I would encourage that they are documented, um, because that is how, as Dr. Salim mentioned about sources of information, that's how we how we how we understand our sources. Of information, and that's the kind of information that we that we can trust in Maulana. Dr. Yusuf Patel mentioned that as well. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I put that number on the screen. Dr. Sadiq, is that the correct number? 0860 142 142? Yes, yes, that's the correct number. Okay, Barakallahu Alaikum. Um, can I also ask Dr. Salim if you could share your email address? I see there's a number of legit questions, you know, legitimate questions like about the vaccine and vaccination and so on from the audience we unfortunately don't have time to take them all but they like specific you know type of questions like if i took a certain type of medication for 20 years could i take the, the vaccination and so on uh, could we share your email inshallah sure you're welcome to do that it's my name salim s-a-l-i-m parker one word at yahoo.com so it's s-a-l-i-m p-a-r-k-e-r at yahoo.com okay so inshallah if you do have any questions uh related to your own um you know issue with regards to the vaccine or whether you can or can't or what's the adverse effects for you and so on um do contact dr salim parker i do apologize these questions came in rather late otherwise i would have addressed them uh, early on in the program lastly to conclude i want to ask uh, from the panel uh starting with uh Monina dr yusuf patel about eid al-adha and Qurban, just in relation to what do you recommend? This is a sunnah uh, in the Hanafi school of thought. It's actually a wajib. Um, so it's an important mm-hmm. sacrifice. What type of recommendations can you offer in relation to this, inshallah? So so I think, I mean, we can obviously continue with the practices that we have, uh, you know, being fulfilling over the years. I think we just need to be careful with regards to the amount of people that perhaps go to the various sites. Uh, I think the various abattoirs or the various farms have created 
solutions whereby they will uh, sacrifice mm. uh, the animals on behalf of the individuals. Yeah. And I think in the past, if I remember correctly, last year, they allowed families or representatives, one representative of a family to come and to see the slaughtering or to drive by and to to, to be able to be part of, yeah. of, 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 the, of the act of worship. So I don't think that changes much. I think it's more about the congregation of people within closed spaces that mm. are concerned. And here we have to use common sense as uh, we've been discussing in the program. We as individuals need to reflect. We know by now those acts or those type of activities that can increase the risk of transmission. And so again, if uh, we are confident uh, within uh, the policies of our various masajid and the various masajid boards can ensure that these policies are implemented correctly, then by all means we continue with uh, you know the congregation of Israel and so forth. Obviously, we need to remember we can't break government rules, whether we like it or not. We live within a country, we abide by a constitution, whether we agree with it or not, but we cannot break rules. And so therefore, we need to abide by those rules. So those are the things that I think we need to keep in mind let's not overwhelm spaces with too many people and um, with regards to visiting of people I think we need to be very careful with that Alhamdulillah over the past year too uh, you know there's been an increase with virtual uh, 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 yeah, meetings. I was actually going to say I I do uh, offer the Qurban uh, Aqiqa service yes. with live streaming, so people actually get to see the thing live. Yes, I, I did it last year, Alhamdulillah, and it worked quite well. Uh, so the families were still able to participate from that sense, you know, in yes. a virtual sense, yes. alhamdulillah. And, and, and I think those are the means that we have to be creative with. But I don't think it's worthwhile, uh, you know, to take that risk by putting people at risk with regards to these. And again, we just need to look at the, at, at, at the comprehensive picture here mm. with regards to the Sharia. We cannot be unethical within our practices. We cannot be self-righteous within our practices. And we cannot be selfish within our personal practices with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sense that we put other people at risk. Hmm. That's part of the relationship that we have with Allah. We need to ensure that we fulfill our aman and responsibility to others. So by using those practical measures, our common sense, I'm sure as a community, as a faith-based community, we will be able to do the right things again it's that we have to struggle against ourselves many yeah. times. All these issues stem back to the 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 the, the problems within ourselves, um, and so we really need to reflect. Uh, I think in that regard. Barakallahu feekum. Shukran so much, Dr. Salim. Your comments on Eid al-Adha, Qurban. No, I think everything that Dr. Yusuf just said, and I'm sure. Um, um, uh, Dr. Sadiq will, will talk about when the peak is expected, um, pro probably closer to E than, than not. But everything he said, again, remember how the virus is spread? It's via coughing and sneezing. So wearing of masks is important. Keeping distance between people, a physical distance, not a social distance. I don't like using the word social distance. Keeping it short. Whenever you go see someone, do it outside if possible. Keep it short well-ventilated places. What I advocate is the um, is, is the um, non-pharmaceutical police person. I think every uh, every family should have one person who's assigned them, call him the mask person, call, call him the uh, mm. mask police or whatever. But that person is assigned to make sure that everyone adheres to protocols. Someone's got to take the flag. I mean, I was at the Janaza last Sunday where I was unfortunately assigned that role. Uh, most people, as soon as they saw me, pulled up their masks, uh, even though they were outside <laughs> and moved a bit uh, further away from each other. But it's important for 
for us to have you know uh, to have such measures in place. So I have a a family police person hmm. in place for if it's a gathering, but it's it's not Islam, it's not the Qurban, it's not the celebration of Eid. It is uh, people gathering for too long without the protocols in place in poorly ventilated places that is making uh, that is going to spread the disease. Not Islam and not our practices. Oh, shukran, Doc. I will call you after the program just to get the banking details, you know, for my cut <laughs> of your government stipend. <laughs> um, and Dr. Sadiq, any closing comments from your side, inshallah? When do we expect no, the peak, yeah, the, perhaps? The peak third wave, always difficult to predict. Mm. But um, from the modeling that we have done, uh, and like I said, our scientists have done some modeling uh, on the expected third wave, that we, which we are in at the moment, we, we expect the third wave in the Western Cape to be um, not as severe as the second wave, mm. um, and probably in between the first and second waves, right. which is unlike the position in Gauteng where they've probably probably perhaps even perhaps almost double double the peak of the second wave yes, already. Our wave in the province inshallah will hopefully just be between the first and the second and the second wave um the peaks. However having said that there are a couple of uh, um of issues that, that have a massive impact on those predictions. One of those for example is a topic for another day perhaps, but it's the different types of variants that we are finding uh, in South Africa mm. that has an has an impact which at the moment is unknown. Um, and that's quite an important impact, and we can talk uh, again about that. Inshallah. But in terms of the peak and predictions, like I said, always difficult, but probably we think from the time of onset of the beginning of our third wave, we were estimating around mid, mid-August, um, mm. probably end, we sort of the end of July, mid-August, uh, we think would be the peak of the of this third wave. Right. Jazakumullah khairan. Uh, Dr. Yusuf, from your side, any closing comments and the, the rest of the panel, then we can, we can conclude the program. Inshallah, we've already gone to almost one hour, 20 minutes. Alhamdulillah. Dr. So, yes, Mara, there's so many things that uh, I think we were still supposed to speak about, mm. but inshallah, we can uh, do that again. Just two things that I want to state, uh, and this is obviously for our audience out there and a reminder to us. We should take pride in people such as Dr. Salim, Dr. Karim, Dr. Zamir Bray, who I see has logged in, and various other individuals within the public health fraternity, within the epidemiology fraternity, the, the physicians, the healthcare workers. As Muslims in this country, we have been gifted with the opportunity of actually contributing. There are so many countries, are, are so many countries around the world where Muslims are facing discrimination, where they do not have the opportunity to actually play a positive, constructive role. Here in South Africa, with our history, we have that opportunity. It's people like this or like these that we should take pride within. So we should support individuals like this. Unfortunately, uh, as we know, many of them have received so much flack from mm. so many quarters, including our, our dear teacher, yeah. and many of the other ulama. Let us take the opportunity and let us ensure that we protect the integrity of such individuals. Like I said earlier, they are not sitting on their laurels. They mm. are not sitting from their armchairs. They are actually, actually going in every day and ensuring that people are safe and sound and trying to make our community a better place. So let us take pride in that. And then secondly, with regards to our understanding of the Sharia, the most important maqsad of the sharia is that we preserve the deen. And the way we preserve the deen is by preserving Muslims. And the way that we preserve Muslims by ensuring the lives of Muslims. Now, obviously, there can be discussion around that. But if we put the majority of Muslims, our fellow Muslims at risk, then we will see the consequences of Islam dwindling by our own actions. So we need to see the bigger picture with regards to the maqasid of the sharia.
Yeah, no, subhanAllah, jazakumullah khair and for that, uh, I'd like to just uh, also add in that one of my one of my biggest uh, aspirations for the Isnad Academy was to uh, preserve knowledge, mm-hmm. but preserve authentic knowledge because mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges in our time, like it, it's, subhanAllah, it's a pro and a con. On the one side, our access to information is incredible. Like you can find information in anything. But then the con is access to misinformation mm-hmm. is also profound. Yeah. And uh, we need to ensure that for our important matters in life, our body, our mind, and our souls, mm-hmm. that we find the correct information. There in the comments, I can see still people are asking, you know, I heard about so many ulama who took the vaccine and then died. I haven't heard of a single one, by mm-hmm. the way. I've heard rumors about that, but the ulama who've passed on, uh, they've not received the vaccine. Yes. Uh, subhanallah. And um, so misinformation is going to be there. This is but our humble attempt at uh, combating that. Mm-hmm. So at least on the day of Qiyamah, I can uh, perhaps present to Allah that I try to make good information, mm-hmm. reliable information, authentic information available uh, to the Ummah. And uh, I, I can pray that Allah accepts that from me. Um, and our, And the other little contribution that I could also make is that I do not pass on misinformation. Mm-hmm. In fact, when somebody sends me something uh, regarding, you know, conspiracy theories or the anti-vaxxers and so on, I ask that person kindly do not forward such information to me or mm-hmm. anyone else because it is harmful. Yes. You know, yes, and, it, and I think it's my duty to do that. No, exactly the case. Man. You know, there's, there's and, I'll, and I'll end with this. Mm. There's uh, an interesting quote from uh, Alexander Pope's essay on man where he says, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not of the Pyrian spring. Shallow sips intoxicate the brain and drinks sober us again. Meaning that it's very easy to fall within that category of assuming that we know when we haven't done the necessary background research, when we have not transformed ourselves with a holistic understanding of knowledge. It's only when we sacrifice time and we put in the necessary effort that we can say that we have an understanding of a certain domain of knowledge. And that's what I think we all need to work on. We need to ensure that we do the requisite uh, amount of research and that we put in the difficult yards to ensure that at least we have a better understanding of what we are proliferating and what we are propagating. Jazakumullah mm-hmm. khairan, Dr. Yusuf Patel. Dr. Salim, any last words from your side? Well, not last words, last words no, in this program. <laughs> no, inshallah. No, all I can say is that it is coming. We should celebrate it in the spirit of giving, in the spirit of being aware of what's happening. And like Dr. Sadiq said, uh, in the, uh, as far as um, COVID is concerned, the numbers are probably going to increase in the Western Cape. And you know, I, I take my comfort in what the, um, the late Maulana Taakaran said is that our, our job is to preserve lives. So even if one person learns, it was really time well spent tonight. So inshallah, if at least one person has taken something positive away from here, I think we as a panel have done a job and we are keeping up the legacy of our beloved teacher. He was different uh, inspiration to all of us. You were at his feet most of the time. We uh, were interacting with him, but uh, you know, but he and his fellow panelists always said, you give us of figures and don't worry about and, and, the, and the facts. Don't worry about what we, we take it and whatever we decide is because of your input, but it doesn't mean you influenced us. And that is the respect that we were held with and we held the MJC and we'll hold them with as well. In, in that it is we keep what we uh, what we know and they digest it and use it within the dictums of our deen to come up with fatwas like they have now at the moment. 
Jazakumullah khairan and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant all of those who are suffering with this or any other form of illness complete shifa. We pray that Allah ta'ala grant alleviation to the pain of those who are feeling any pain or discomfort and we pray that Allah azza wa jal grant complete forgiveness and maghfirah, rahmah to those who had passed on uh, as martyrs due to this illness or other illnesses or in any other way that you ask Allah to grant them the highest places in Jannah especially our, our late teacher Maulana Muhammad Taha Karan rahimahullah ta'ala uh, until next time inshallah wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad subhanallah wa bihamdi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta uh, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh